If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This is a HeadGum Podcast. In 86, N.M. Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Dude, this is a fucking important book. Yeah, I agree. This is a devastating book. It's the fucking end of the road. I hated it. I mean, I loved it. I thought it was a brilliant book. It was like a dream team. It was like Anne pulled out all of her biggest guns for this one. Anne was in the mix. You better believe our boy Pete Laranchis was in the mix. Oh, he did such a good job. Hodges was doing some buck wild shit on the cover. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, the dream team of Anne, Pete, and Hodges forming like Voltron to create a masterpiece. This this book, and, and I've got to say, the last couple books we've read, we haven't maybe enjoyed quite as much as some of the others, but boy, what a fantastic send-off for, for Dawn. Yeah, well, spoilers. Yeah. The book is called, like, Dawn Leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Dawn's Big Move. Dawn's Big Move is the name of the novel. Um, it's a masterpiece. I want to get right into talking about it, but first, I want to talk about introducing our show. Okay. Hi, hi. Hi. I went out to drinks tonight uh, after work. Um, okay. Some of our friends from Japan are in town. They all miss you. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how to introduce a show, though, right? i just catching up with you, catching up with you. This isn't for the show. Okay, good. It's just like, you know, it was, they're all in town for uh, onboarding. Yeah. They were all looking for you. I showed them the pillow, at least. I don't think anybody knows about the pillow, Tanner. All of our coworkers do. Do you mean Baby Nation? Yeah. Baby Nation probably. Baby Nation, I um this isn't gonna make the edit. I was just trying to have a conversation with my friend Jack, but uh I made some time ago a full length life size body pillow of Jack Shepard. Um I, I had him pose in kind of a saucy pose. Yeah, pretty it's pretty saucy. And then I sent it off to a company who printed him onto a um full size body pillow and then went to Bed Bath and Beyond, got a body length pillow, and uh keep this full size body pillow next to my desk. I guess now that you mention it, probably anyone could have one. Should we do me on one side and you on the other? That's pretty good. That's good marketing. Yeah. We'll sell that on our e shop. <laughs> yeah. As soon as we get around to building an e shop. Um, well, that's nice that I'm still keeping you company. Um, you got it out? You got it out of your system? You want to introduce the show with me? Got it out. I'm trying to open my book on my iPad here. It's not opening, so I guess I won't look at my notes. Is that okay? Um, 
Listen, I really do want to introduce this show. I wish you hi, would. Hi. I wish you would. I don't hi, know what's hi. stopping you from doing it. It's you. It's literally you. Hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club. 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 A podcast in which I, Jack Shepard. And I, Tanner Greenring. Talk about the classic novels of Princeton's own Princess and Matthews Martin, Soul Skinner, Priestess. Sanctified, Priestess Stormborn, Anne. Stormwalker, Priestess, Bats Bane, first of her name, last of her kind, last hope for humankind. Boy, that is becoming a fucking mouthful. And you've cut several. Yeah, I've cut a bunch when we added Priestess. Right, that was Baby B. Beth Ann. Yeah. Added that honorific. She knows something we don't know. It just felt real right. Right. Those are Anne's epithets. The, her book that she wrote this week. You like that segue, Tanner? <laughs> her book that she wrote this week was called Dawn's Big Move. Mm-hmm. It was about a BM. <laughs> yes! A big move. Yeah. A big BM. No, it was about a BM, which is a big move. Oh, yeah. Well, it should have That's just been That's what BM stands for. It should have just been called Dawn's BM. Yeah, Dawn's BM. Yeah, Dawn's Big Move or Dawn's BM. Yeah. Whichever. DBM. I'm sure Pete pitched that. <laughs> and like Anne was on yeah. board, but the scholastic lawyers are like, oh, do you think people will mix it up with, uh, well, you know. Yeah. And Pete's yeah. like, no, what do you mean? Dawn's BM. <laughs> um, which leads me to a new segment uh, that I want to introduce here. Uh, I don't have a name for it. Jack, it's episode... 69 you're introducing new segments 69 episodes in this is a novel that is about transition it's about change it's about shaking it up it's not about fucking stasis okay this i was inspired by this book okay Let's um, hear your name. i don't have a name i don't have a name for it all right uh, well i'm just gonna ask you the question i'll come in i'll come in and give you i want i'll give you a name and i want uh 15 on the back end okay of this segment Fine. You know 15% of nothing is nothing, right? For now. <laughs> All right. It's essentially, what was your Larangus moment this week? Ooh. Like, no, wait. Larangus moment. No, don't use another segment's song. Okay. Um, here's what a Larangus moment is. It's not just the best thing that Pete did. It's the moment in the book where it suddenly dawned upon you without a shadow of a doubt that Pete Larangis wrote this book. Okay, okay, okay. Got it. Got it? You understand the concept, right? I, I knew the concept. I was thinking up a theme song and I got one. Okay. That's what you're here for, basically, is Foley work. Okay. So, so this is to the tune of um, Shania Twain's um, From This Moment On. <laughs> From this Larangis moment, life has begun. From this Larangis moment, you are the one right beside you. It's where I belong. From this Larangis moment on. Wow. <laughs> Do you think that's good? I think it's fucking fantastic. I sure hope that you're able to layer over some beautiful... Uh, Shania Twain yeah. in the background. I'll find a midi. <laughs> um, let me tell you mine since I introduced the segment. Okay. It's right out of the fucking gate in this book. 
right out of the gate, first paragraph. You add what? Asked my stepsister, Marianne. She looked up from the steaming walk on the kitchen stove. Arrowroot, I answered, and keep stirring. Arrowroot, Marianne said. That sounds sickening. It's for thickening, I replied. Then I realized what I'd said. So I added, understand? <laughs> That's pretty good. Thickening. 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 That is such a fucking brilliant play on words. Yeah, it is pretty good. It took me, it was so good that I had to go back and read the passage again to get it. Did you have a Larangus moment? It's a or good Larangus moment. It? I've got one, I've got one. Yeah. So there's a, um, there's a festival in town, an athletics contest that all of Stony Brook is participating in. Um, what's it called? I can't remember now. It's called the Run for Your Money. The Run for Your Money. Brilliant title for that. Yeah. It's like a fun run, but they're making money for charity. And Loran just, just puts those two concepts together, shakes them up, comes out with the perfect fucking name for it. Run for your money. Right. Uh, the Spear family is training for what they refer to as the underwear race, which is a, an event which it's like a relay race, but you take off a piece of underwear at the end of each lap. Um, Mr. Spear is not good at it. He has comically oversized underwear. Uh, he's not athletic. He decides he hates the underwear race, so they decide to do tug of war instead. Boys versus girls. So it's Mr. Spear versus Marianne, Don, Sharon. They're all tug of warring. Heave ho, Mom grunted. We gave a strong yank and womp down went poor Richard. He landed on his hands and knees, his pants down around his thighs. Mr. Spear? We all turned around to see Marilyn and Carolyn Arnold staring at Richard, these identical twins who live around the corner from us. They were dressed in tennis whites on their way home from a lesson. Their parents were behind them, gently nudging them onward. I could tell the grown-ups were trying hard not to laugh. <laughs> it's like a scene from a sitcom. Yeah. He's playing tug-of-war. He falls over his comical underwear, which he had been wearing for the previous scene become exposed yeah and larangis it's like chekhov's gun he sets up the comical underwear in the first act and yeah. in the second act lo and behold those pants come right down mr spear trips over them oh not falls I, on his fucking not face. only did they come down they come down in front of the neighbors <laughs> <laughs> oh pete from this larangis moment. moment yeah do you know the song it seems like you don't really why do you think that? I just sang along with you. I'll I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you when the chord's done. You can listen to it, really get into the spirit. Uh, moving on. <laughs> um, I want to underline that Pete is multifaceted. It's, he does pratfalls. He does wordplay. He does comedy. But he also does gorgeous, beautiful prose. Um, here's a moment where Dawn, at the beginning of this book, is describing the fact that she feels caught in between two coasts and between two families. Yes, it's true. My parents live on opposite sides of the country, like bookends. That's a fucking gorgeous piece of prose by Pete Larangis. This is what Pete does so fucking well. Uh, both of those things, one comedic and one tragic, within pages of each other. Right. Also, like, there are a lot of babysitters. Yeah. I feel like no we've question. been getting a lot of Dawn and Marianne POVs lately. Yeah, it does feel that way. We had Dawn's Family Feud, and then we had a Stacy book, and then we had Maid Marianne. Yeah. And now we've got this one. 
Yeah, lay off of Don and Marianne. We get it. Well, we're, for the time we're being. gonna lay off Don somewhat oh. permanently now, Jack, because God. she's been stolen away from us. What a fucking tragedy. Um, Jack, uh, just real quick. Yeah. Um, hey, Anne, it's us. Um, hey, Anne. Jack and Tanner from the Babysitters Club Club. Um, we know you listen. We know uh, we we've been pleading with you for some time to not um to not do this thing that you you've done. Um. So I just really wanted to quickly say, um, fuck you, Anne. Anne, you've hurt me for the last fucking time. Anne. Anne. Who do you think you are, Anne? You don't even write these. Oh, and you know what? And you know what, Jack? What? Fuck you, Pete. Yeah, fuck you, Pete Larangis. This is how you do us, Pete. We trust you. We we trust you with these books. Anne hands you the reins. And what you do to us is you take away Dawn. You know what you are, Pete? You are complicit. Yeah. How does that sound? How does that ring in your ears, Pete? You're fucking complicit. You use your prodigious talents as a prose stylist, as a character writer. In the service of this, of taking away Dawn because fucking Anne is so far gone in her megalomania that she wants to take away something that we care about just to show she can do it. What are you going to do now, Pete? Like, wh- who are you yeah. going to write books about now, Pete? Stacy? Come on. Both of you. Both of you. Both of you. And sh- Pete, blow it out your asses. I'm fucking furious. I'm furious. I didn't think they'd do it. They've been teasing it for books, but I didn't think they'd do it. No, I didn't think they'd do it. I thought it was just like... Trying to s- fucking move units, you know? Mm. Trying to sell copies. Right. It's infuriating, and I hate it. I hate the idea. They gave us a little tease right at the end um, yeah. as Dawn is leaving. You know what we haven't done? What? Describe this book. Should we just do that? Or do you want to get your thought out first? Let me just get my thought out. Okay. Right at the end, Dawn has left us. She's on a plane to New York, and she unwraps a gift from the Babysitter's Club. Um, and it is a journal some might call it a diary yeah so they kind of tease that like oh you're not going to be able to write in the the babysitter's club notebook anymore you're going to need another place to kind of get your feelings out dawn here's a journal a diary for you some kind of california diary yeah so i feel like there's there's a little bit of hope there for us specifically for me and you yeah but i'm still not thrilled about it I saw it as a blank, like, she's handed this blank book. It's like, hey, everything that you've written, everything that we've written together, the story we've written together has been erased. Right. Now all you have is emptiness. Right. You're a blank book now. There's nothing there. There's no, nothing more to see here, babies and gentlemen. Dawn is staring at that blank page before her. She opens up the dirty window of the airplane and she lets the sun illuminate the words that she could not find. She's reaching for something in the distance so close she can almost taste it. And she releases her inhibitions and she feels the rain on her skin, Jack. Wow. No one else can do it for her. Only she can let it in. No one else, no one else can speak the words on her lips. Jack, I think we need to take a lesson from Dawn here. Yeah. Drench yourself in words unspoken, Jack. Mm -hmm. Live your life with arms wide open. 
Mm-hmm. Today, Jack, is where your book begins. Yeah. The rest is still unwritten. Wow. Are you going to get to the chorus yet? Because I still don't know what it is. That was it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the Natasha Bedingfield song, Unwritten. <laughs> which I'm realizing now was probably... About this book? About this book. I think Natasha Bedingfield is right in that sweet spot of BSC listeners. Yeah. She probably read these books as a kid. And she read this book and she was like looking at this this scene of Dawn looking at her, her life unwritten. And came up with her entire hit song, Unwritten. Do you know the song? Feel the rain on your skin. Live your life with arms wide open. No. da 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 I don't know the song, but it sounds like an angel is whispering it in my ear right now. <laughs> hey, Tanner, let's fucking uh, describe this novel. I'll send it to you. Let's describe this novel right now. I'm going to start right now. Unwritten. Natasha Bedingfield. T- send it to me after. U.S. version. Comma. Cool. Let's see. Messages. Ooh, a cool time to send it to me would be uh, later. You just sang it to me. I got it. And I read the book that it's based on. Oh, that's true. That's true. You You know it. You know it. Let me describe this book, and then I'm going to have you describe this book, and then we're going to continue. Oh, I just got a link popped up on my phone. What does it say? Yep. Natasha Bedingfield. Give that a click. Unwritten. Give that a hard click. I'm going to wait till after the fucking podcast. Okay. First, I'm going to describe this book. I feel like this book would have so much more resonance if you knew this song, though. I'm going to describe it for the Baby Nation, then I'm going to have you describe it for the Baby Nation. Then we're going to fucking talk a lot more, because we have a lot of ground to cover. Are you ready? Yes. Doted on by her parents, worshipped by her sister, and cherished by her friends. Dawn Schaefer is the glue that holds the small community of Stony Brook together. But when she begins to have powerful and relentless visions of a strange alternative reality where she is living with a different family thousands of miles away, she faces up to the choice of turning her back on the people who rely on her the most and traveling through the desert into a dark and uncertain future leaving a trail of broken hearts, ruined lives, and devastation in her wake. Standing on the very edge of the unknown, with everyone she has ever loved receding into the distance, Dawn is about to learn that the only thing harder than walking into the wilderness is getting out of it alive. Dawn's big move. Or Dawn's BM. <laughs> if Pete had his way. <laughs> if Pete had his way. <laughs> um, Natasha Bedingfield is 35 years old. Okay, good. She's, uh, she's a little younger than me. And a little older than me. Yeah. She's right in that sweet spot. Closer to 40 than 30. Aren't we all? Nope, not me. Way closer to 30. Way, way closer to 30. You are much closer to 40, so I understand your confusion, but... Cool, fun talk, fun talk. Do you want me to go ahead and do my bit? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I was going to let you off the fucking hook. That would be unprecedented. (laughs) That would be unprecedented. I want you to describe this book now. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to do it within. I'm going to put those 60 seconds on this big bag clock that I have. I'm going to begin now. Baby Nation, the time has come. Dawn has been teasing it, teasing it for... Five books now. Uh, she's gone. She's gone, girl. Uh, she murders Ben Affleck. I haven't seen Gone Girl. Um, 
she decides to move back to California. Um, in the meantime, uh, her parents need to kind of figure out how that's going to work. Um, there's this festival in town called the Run for Your Money event, uh, where everyone does athletic events um, like um, three-legged races and underwear races and stuff like that. Uh, so all of the families of Stony Brook, including the Babysitter's Club family, and yes, they are a family now, they're that close, uh, decide to sign up. Um, Don waffles a little bit, but ultimately ends up going to California for six months. She'll be back in six months, um, and the festival is fun. They all have a good time. And so we've come to the, to the end. end. Of the road. Okay. Ooh, this is bad. We can't sync up, huh? It sounds great to me. Did I miss anything? There's no other plots, right? There are no other major plot points. No. Tanner, you got it. Uh, Dawn just needs to move on. She just needs to move on for six months. She'll be back. I want to talk about a little bit of the beautiful symbolism, and I think this is down to Pete. Um, the themes of impermanence and transition that are kind of central to this narrative. Um, and the way that Pete does that, and Anne probably in conjunction with Pete, is this constant reference throughout the text to sunsets. Did you catch this? Um, I've got a few. Soon we could see the sun setting outside the window. The buildings across the street seemed to glow with a warm amber color. It was a perfect end to the day. I couldn't imagine being more content. And I began to think I was crazy for wanting to give up my life in Stony Brook. That's the first reference to a sunset early in the book. Later, she changes her mind. She decides all of a sudden that she isn't going to leave Stony Brook. She's going to stay. I'm staying here. I've changed my mind. The room was so quiet, I could swear I heard the sun setting. And then finally, just as she's leaving on the plane, she looks out the window I tried looking out the window, but the setting sun was too strong. Instead, I sat back. And then the novel ends with a little note that she's written in her blank book, her journal. The sun is setting behind the airport terminal. In five hours, it'll be 8.45, and I will be home. Do you not think that this symbolism of a sunset as a change, as impermanence, as moving on, is beautiful in the context of the fact that her name is Dawn. That is beautiful. That is very beautiful. This is literally the end of Dawn. It worries me. It scares me. Yeah. Is Dawn dying? Oh, almost certainly that's a reading of this. Right. Almost certainly that's a reading of this. California, particularly in these Dawn books, is often represented as paradise. Right. Aside from Natasha Bedingsfield's um, Unwritten, do you know what this narrative yeah. uh, reminds me of? What? Uh, the Dylan Thomas poem, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? The end stanza of that poem is, And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now. With your fierce tears, I pray, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And that's what Dawn is doing here. She's headed to those sad heights of... Palo, what's it called? Palo Bay? Palo Alto? No, it's not called Palo Alto because that's a real city. Don is from a fictional city in California called like Palo Bay or something like that. Um, Palo City. 
So you think that there's something in this idea that what's happened is that Dawn has moved on. It's not just that she's moved. Dawn has resigned herself to death. Well, she fought against it for at the very end there. She was fighting against it. She's like, no, it's not my time. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to move on. I'm not ready to leave Stony Brook. But ultimately, she, she has, has to, to, like all of us. You fight against it. You gnash your teeth. You rage. You rage against the dying of the light. But at the end... Ultimately, you go, whether gently or not, into that good night. Right. As the sun sets behind you. We all go and greet our father on those sad heights. Yeah. In Palo City. The flight number that dawn is on. I'd like to welcome you to transcontinental flight 662 to Los Angeles. We've been cleared for takeoff, so we're about to taxi onto the runway. John 662. Let's hear it. Then what will happen if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? This is it. That's it. She's going to paradise. All signs point to this being the end for Dawn. She's moved on. It's her big move. And we know, and I don't need to go over this with you, we know that Dawn books always have strong religious symbolism. We know that. I mean, they did for a little while, yeah. I mean, I got tired of pointing it out time and again. Right, right, right. Can't do all the work for you, baby nation. (laughs) Yeah, baby nation. You you find some of the fucking religious symbolism, except when it's staring you in the goddamn face. And that's why Pete is Pete is good. He knows that shit. He brings it out. He makes it obvious. Um, I couldn't stop. I was flying. Signs whizzed by me: Ohio, Minnesota, Nebraska, Utah. Finally, I made out a huge sign that said, "Welcome to Palo City." Dad and Jeff were next to it, but they didn't see me. Dad, I screamed. Dawn? Marianne said. My eyes snapped open. Huh? Oh, that was her dream. That was her first experience. That was her first taste of, of life beyond the borders of Stony Brook. She was coming in and out. Yeah, this has been weeks in the making, I think. God. And she saw there the other two-thirds of the Trinity. Yeah. Up in Palo City. Jeff and the father. Beckoning to her. Yeah. The father and the son. Um, the one thing that I want to mention before we move on from this sad and ponderous topic um, is the first quote that I read to you about the sun, about the sun setting. Mm-hmm. Let me read it to you again and tell me if anything stands out to you. Okay. Soon we could see the sun setting outside the window. The buildings across the street seemed to glow with a warm amber color. It was a perfect end to the day. Yeah, something's hopping out at me there. Something kind of hopped off the page there, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. You um, you mentioned amber. Yeah, I the mentioned color amber. of the buildings across the street. Yeah. Um, Baby Nation, amber is near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we have a theory called Amber Theory that states that all of Stony Brook is trapped in a time bubble, and no one ages past. Uh, I guess what year was it? 1989, 1988? Uh, everyone, everyone is kind of trapped in a moment. Yeah. Um, the girls never leave the eighth grade, despite the fact that it's been several canonical years now. They just repeat the same year of their lives over and over again. Right. Uh, something Anna's done to them, trapped them in amber because she wants to, rightly or wrongly, we pass no judgment. She wants to protect them from the pain of growing up and eventually dying. But as we know, like when you escape the bubble of 
And I think this was Anne and Pete kind of making a nod to us, specifically yeah. me and you, Jack, and Baby Nation. Yeah. By calling out Amber so explicitly, she was saying, this is Dawn's last taste. This is it. She's moving past it. She sees the Amber. She sees the sun setting in the background. Right. And then she leaves, and she's out. She's outside of the Vale of Stony Brook. She's past the Amber. Right. It's going to be morning in California, and she's going to grow old and die. We don't know that, Jack, because Palo City is not... You open up Google Maps right now, and you show me where in California Palo City exists. Oh, you know what? Here's a fucking thought, Tanner. I just had a fucking thought. Tell me. If I were Anne, and I realized that another one of the babysitters is knocking at the door, another one of the... Ba- Stacy tried to leave. Anne brought her back. She forcefully brought her back by threatening her parents. Yep. By threatening her mother's life. Right. Stacy's good and back. Then Dawn is knocking at the door. Dawn is like, I want to grow up. I want to leave. She wakes up at the beginning of this book. She's like, I need to leave Stony Brook. Right. And Anne is like, fuck, I don't know what to do about it. If I were Anne, and I was a fucking megalomaniac and i wanted to keep which Anne is we know Anne is which we know Anne is what i would do is i would leave with dawn an artifact something from stony brook that could control her even past the boundaries of stony brook in palo city an innocuous little blank book a california diary if you will where she can keep her little california diaries in her empty blank book from so, Stony Brook, Connecticut. So canny, Anne. Ugh. You're just so cunning. Ugh. Look at you. You just keep a little piece. It's like a horcrux. <laughs> yeah. You've given Dawn. She can never grow old with that, huh? Over in Palo City, California. I wonder if this will affect Disneyland Daddy or Jeff at all. Oh, I'm sure it will. I just think proximity to that. An artifact that powerful? Yeah. I think mere proximity is probably going to affect them. Well, who knows? It'll probably affect everyone in the fucking We Heart Kids Club. Ugh, the We Heart Kids Club. Pete, Anne. Pete, Pete, Anne. Anne. If you make me read a single fucking word about the We Heart Kids Club, <laughs> we're I'm done. Out. I'm out. We're fucking done. That's a promise. Just not interested in the We Heart Kids Club. And now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Um, a dilly dilly, my lord. <laughs> oh, hey, it's Evil Jack here. I was just workshopping some of the most evil ways to start an ad spot. Evil Tanner couldn't make it today because he's busy trying to break his previous record for how many people he can tell that they should smile more in a 24-hour period. I just wanted to give you an update on our uh, evil company, BetterHelp, uh, where we help evil betters to... um Make small, lucrative bets on extremely wicked outcomes. Uh, Like, for instance, I bet that I can accidentally put my own bag on the weighing area of your self-checkout at the grocery store so you have to call someone over to make the machine work again. Well, basically, since you asked, it's going uh, pretty badly um, because apparently the name of our company sounds too much like the name of our sponsor, BetterHelp. See, it's pronounced completely differently. They're online therapy that will uh, pair you with a licensed therapist in no time at all. Um, and in addition to not even really sounding the same as our evil company, BetterHelp is easy to use, it's entirely online, and they are super flexible, so it's no problem to fit them into your own schedule, which is completely the opposite of how we do it. 
Anyway, everyone's saying that we shouldn't use the name, which causes me grief, anxiety, self-esteem, and LGBT matters. And to make matters worse, um, I can't even get therapy for this stuff because I don't believe that men need therapy because I'm evil. If you're ready uh, to give online therapy a try, though, all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bedfellows today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Bedfellows. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Tanner, we need to talk about Hodges. Let's talk about Hodges. Now? Now. Um, you texted Yesterday. Me. Yeah. Yesterday. Yesterday. Jack. Yeah. I had the day off. How'd it go? Um, very good. What I did was I woke up in the morning. I um, took my bike to Prospect Park. Don't fucking triangulate. In beautiful Brooklyn, New York. <whistles> yep. I took... Um, <laughs> and then I took up the and down to and down to the park. Well, I hope you believe all of that out. And I laid in Prospect Park and read this entire book. Mm-hmm. First thing I did, opened up the cover, scoped out that Hodges cover. Obviously, I had no idea what I was getting into at that time. I had yeah. not read a word of this book. Since then, I have read all this book. But in that moment, I sent you a screenshot of the cover of this book, featuring all of the girls of the Babysitter's Club yep. um, who go to Stony Brook High School. So no Jesse, no Mallory. Yep. Sorry, girls. Sorry, girls. So I, what I didn't know then that I do know now is that this scene never appears in the book. Um, I sent you a screenshot of the Babysitter's Club standing in front of their lockers, all having a good time, laughing together, Um. Christy is crouched in front of her locker, and in her locker is a conspicuous portrait. It really draws the eye. Right. Do you want to describe what is in that portrait? All right. I'm looking in this locker. There are a number of books. What is notable and significant and strange is a portrait. Yes. It is a portrait of a man. He's wearing Mm -hmm. a V-neck. Sweater. Red. Some sort. Sweater or cardigan. Right. He's got a smile on his face. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that stands out to me about this portrait, Tanner, uh-huh. it is a note-perfect picture uh-huh. Uh-huh. of President Barack 
Barack Hussein Obama. Hussein Obama. Right. There's just no mistaking it, Baby Nation. And I sent a screenshot to Jack Shepard, and I circled the portrait, and I wrote in red letters, Barack Obama? Barack Obama. And Jack responded, yes, what the fuck? In all caps. Yes. I don't feel like you read that quite as well as I said it. He, he wrote it in all caps. Yeah. Jack Shepard and I, unprompted, yeah. with no conversation between the two of us, both looked at this portrait in Christie's locker and saw Barack Obama. It is unmistakably Barack Obama. Yeah. 1990, 1993. September of 1993. Baby Nation. Yeah. Hodges got into his isolation chamber. <laughs> He stripped down to nudity. He climbed inside his isolation chamber. He was floating in his um, saltwater tank yeah. in pitch blackness, and he saw a vision of the future. He saw this African-American gentleman who he knew was a man of great charisma, would someday be a man of great power. Yeah. He didn't know what to make of it, but he said, I must capture this. I must capture this face. This will be important someday. Yeah. And he went ahead and, and put this portrait in the president of the Babysitter's Club's locker. Hodges. And they fucking, they tried so hard to throw him off of the fucking scent. Uh, we talked in a previous episode about Hodges baiting, which is the technique whereby writers of the Babysitter's Club books, including Anne M. Martin, at the behest of the Scholastic li- at the, ooh, I almost said Scholastic Liars. <laughs> Oh. Got him again, hey? Got him again. Hey, what's the, the opposite behest- of progress? Is it Congress? Congress. <laughs> good. good. <laughs> At the best of the scholastic lawyers, try to throw Hodges off the scent of whatever like crazy cryptic shit he's going to put in the cover. Uh, here's the moment of Hodges baiting that I saw in this book. You should have seen the look on your face when you rolled over that oversized ball, Stacy. Christy said. You should have seen the look on your face during the dance relay, Stace replied. Christy cringed. That was so embarrassing. My dad said he got a picture of you, Claudia said. No, Christy's jaw dropped. I think I'll frame it and hang it in my room, Claude added, tapping her chin and looking directly at Hodges Swallow, art director (laughs) of the Babysitter's Club. (laughs) There was a lot of Hodges baiting in this book. Like, Stacy being gobbled by the giant orb... Obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ripe for Hodges. Um, I think Mr. Spear, pants down, ass up, the Arnold oh, twins. Yeah. Gawking. Yeah, Larangis is doing his fucking best. Yeah. And Hodges was like, no, I've seen a vision <laughs> of a beautiful man. I've seen a vision of a beautiful, charismatic man. Yeah. Who I know will be important someday. Okay, so let's dig a little further into this fucking crazy picture, which does not happen. There is no scene in this book where the five uh, non-associate members of the Babysitter's Club stand in front of a locker posing. Here are a few other things that are happening in this. Apart from the fucking insane fact that there is a a portrait of Barack Obama in Christie or Mary Ann's locker. Christie's, confidently. One, they are all reading blank books. That's hard to substantiate with the, the image I'm looking at here. The books have nothing on them. Look at the book that Marianne is reading. It's like a composition book, but the little cover doesn't say anything. So they're all reading blank books. We know that blank books is 
something that's come up in this book. Mm-hmm. Dawn is given a blank book. The rest is still unwritten. The rest is still unwritten. Uh, it's Anne's way of, we think, kind of keeping Dawn on a leash, even though she's left the confines of Stony Oh, Brook. you know what? You're right, it is what? Marianne, because she has short hair. Yeah. She's wearing the Christy Thomas uniform. Right. She's wearing well, a red turtleneck and blue jeans. I didn't notice the short hair until now, but that is definitely Marianne, yeah. It's made um, over Marianne. And Christy is wearing some, some kind of buck wild stuff here in this. Christy's wearing some buck wild stuff, and she is reading a blank book. Yeah. Here's another thing, and I want you to really zoom in close. They're all, like, having a fucking time, right? They're having a fucking fun-ass time. Christy is reading the book. Uh, Claudia is, like, making a goof with Dawn, who's weirdly brushing her hair and laughing and looking in the mirror. What the fuck is that? I don't know. That's some weird symbolism. Marianne has turned to Stacy with, like, a look of mirth on her face as if she's just made a hilarious joke. Right. Stacy is weeping. Stacy does look like she's weeping. She's inexplicably crying. She's not happy, nor is Christy. Christy and Stacy have been pushed to the very edges of this painting, Baby Nation. Like bookends. They're both cut off on either side. They're both barely in this image, and they both have the look of lament. They're both in deep mourning. Yeah, so what the fuck is that? Um, and then the final thing that I notice in this painting by Hodges in this tableau is that Dawn also has a portrait in her locker. And the portrait that Dawn has is... It looks like an Impressionist painting. A portrait of an endless expanse of blue. (laughs) Do you think that's heaven? Just an expanse of blue sky? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. God, that is just... I'm just looking at this now. That is unmistakably Barack Obama. Yeah, there's no question. Baby Nation, I know this is an audio medium. You know what, Baby Nation? We have two new segments now. Yeah. One is called In This Larangeous Moment. Yeah. And one is called um, Hodges Swallow. Swallow Me Down. Ugh. Yucky. Huh? Yucky. I I was thinking of the Gin Blossom song. Doesn't matter. It's still pretty yucky, huh? (laughs) There's a... um, I think it's Swallow Me Down. you, You think I'm thinking of Swallow Me Down. (laughs) <laughs> it's good. It sounds good. Doesn't it roll off the tongue there a little bit? There's the thermal the thermals. Do you know the thermals? Yeah, I do know the thermals. They have a song called Saint Rosa and the Swallows. Mm. Uh there's a Arthur Ransom Victorian novel called Swallows and Amazons. I grew up reading it. Swallows rough, huh? How about Hodges? <laughs> It's called Swallow Me Down, you son of a bitch. It's called, it's very, very unfortunately called Swallow Me Down. What about I'll Swallow You Into the Dark? (laughs) (laughs) That's so much better. Because I was was about to make the theme song of Swallow Me Down, um, Sublime's Caress Me Down. But I feel like... Not the Gin Blossoms Follow Me Down? That was where you went to Sublime's Caress Me Down? (laughs) Yeah. And I said, uh, uh, swallow me down. Listen, the theme song is Death Cab for Cuties. Yeah. I'll swallow you into right. the dark. Love of mine, someday yeah. you will die, and I'll be yeah. close behind. I'll yeah. swallow you into the dark. <laughs> into the dark. <laughs> uh, and that's, segment. That's our new segment for when we discuss the, um, 
subversive cover art of Babysitter's Club art director Hodges Swallow. Oh, Tanner, I've got one more fucking goddamn thing I want to talk to you about. One more? Because I've got like six more. Okay, but I've got one more thing that I'm like dying to fucking talk to you about. Hit me. Okay, here's a quote from Dawn early on in this novel. I don't know about you, but I go crazy in the early fall, especially when the air is so cool and clear you can almost drink it. I just want to run around in the falling leaves and scream and sing. First of all, Dawn, you don't know me. Right. And no, I don't go crazy in the fall. That's weird. Second of all, here's a a little quote from an article I pulled up called, Why do bees go crazy in the fall? Jack, tell me why bees go crazy (laughs) in the fall. In late summer and fall, worker bees labor long hours, collecting enough nectar to feed and maintain the colony throughout the winter. As the days shorten, the bees know it's time to go into this food-gathering mode. Now, let me read to you from a different article about bees, a further (laughs) article about bees. Uh This article is called, Why Do Honeybees Abscond in the Fall? Is this from uh, The New Yorker? Is this from The Economist? (laughs) What kind of headline is that? It's a technical beekeeping term. (laughs) It means leave. Uh Uh-huh. Absconding is the term used when a colony of honeybees leaves its home in search of another and finds a new home. So do you think everyone's going to follow Dawn in in short order here? The The entire babysitter's club will be in California? I mean, maybe she's the first bee that goes out, right? She leaves the... Oh, new baby bees. Oh, yeah. New baby bees. Um, um, we're not going to tell you why you're bees. No. But, but we will fill you in on the fact that these books are about bees. Right. The entire Babysitter's Club are all bees. The entire um, hive of Stony Brook is all bees. Um, yeah. I'm beginning to suspect that the entire hive of Palo City, California is also bees. Yeah. And we know that... Um, Edison, New Jersey. Is that what it's called? Sea City? No, no, no. Oakley, where Jesse is from. All bees. Just beehives. It's bees all the way down, baby nation. Right. Um, why do bees abscond in the fall? I don't know. Beekeepers know. Anne knows. Pete knows. Dawn right. knows. There's probably a number of bee scientists in baby nation who yeah. know. Um, we yeah. know that we have one. Someone... We- tweeted us last week saying they were an apiologist that sounds like a bee scientist that is a bee scientist i think it's an ape scientist but she's no, cl- she claimed to not. know a lot about bees so oh, yeah you think it's an ape scientist i'm i'm pretty sure it's a bee scientist tanner that doesn't so make we any do sense. have a bee scientist biologist <laughs> she was an ape she worked at an apiary okay so yeah, just like a, a it's like a place where you keep apes uh-huh yeah. yeah, everybody knows that. But she did know a Just lot about bees. Just ask our monkey scientist. We right. do have a monkey scientist. Allie. And she can tell you. Allie right. will let you know. Well, apes are different from monkeys. Is where you keep apes and monkeys. Right. Yep. Um, but apiary workers tend to know a lot about bees. This apiologist that we know, who's a baby bee, happens to also know about bees. Right. So we should ask her about absconding. Baby Nation, if any of you know about bees. Yeah. Tell us about absconding. Yeah. Yeah. Why do bees go crazy in the fall, Baby Nation? Um, uh, Ring, ring. Uh, Hello? Did you hear a phone? Ring, ring. 
yeah hello hello there's a phone ringing who is this hello it's me who is this goliath this is zeus this uh goliath are you there uh, yeah, sorry. This is Goliath. I had a, I had a. Seems like the the uh, the signal's breaking up a little bit. Yeah, sorry about the high voice. I just woke up. Uh, <laughs> you must have thought I wasn't a man. No, <laughs> I, I I had your pink slip ready. <laughs> I had already written Z for Zeus, obviously my first name, yeah. and then and, and your sur- your surname of hadn't, course is uh, hadn't approached my surname yet, but that is obviously. Um, <clears throat> Uh, rock throb. <clears throat> oh, Zeus rock throb. Yep. Oh, well, and as you know, I am yep. the uh, president mm-hmm. and chairman of the board. I know. Of I know. I know. The rock throb conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're an international uh, corporation. We own a lot, a lot of companies. Um, we've mm-hmm. got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies around yeah. the world you don't need to tell me uh bruce or uh, Z- uh, zeus. Zeus. zeus sorry <laughs> zeus what did i say rock throb rock throb yep um goliath listen yeah. i am extremely extremely proud of you thank you what you have built in that tiny town in connecticut mm-hmm. with hard body goliath industries we go by both i go i go by goliath industries yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's just it is amazing what you have done out there and you've just been gobbling up the competition well babysitting is big business babysitting <sighs> is big business it's not just me zeus i've got a great president i got a great vice president i yep. got a uh, Goliath, that's I got a treasurer who's killing it. That's why I'm. That's why I'm calling today. You want to commend the president? She's she's really really. The Goliath, I'm going to stop you there. I am frankly concerned. Oh. Okay. I heard from my secretary today, um, mm. Hercules Hardbottom, that you. <laughs> no relation. What is your name, Goliath Hardbody? Yeah, Hercules Hardbottom. <laughs> Unrelated to me, as right. it should be obvious from well, the different very, last very names. different last names that we yeah. have. Yep. Uh, I caught wind today that you have released your CAO. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't bother to send that back up to the board to the mothership. Uh, it's just a kind of routine, uh, Goliath, making a few Goliath, Goliath, Goliath routine changes around oh. here. Do you think? A company of this level can operate without a CAO? What are your plans? Well, here's what we think. Uh, we, we've had an alternate officer for a long time, a good one, a chief alternate officer. And uh, remind, the, me what, uh, remind me what their name is? <laughs> uh, this, this young lady, this um, 13-year-old uh, young lady named Dawn. Huh. Uh, at, she's been uh, she's been doing a pretty good job. She she filled whenever we have a senior staff meeting. Uh, if any of the senior staff, the president or the VP or the treasurer can't make it, uh, th- this young girl Dawn fill, fills their role. And sometimes I can't make it. Sorry. Sometimes I can't make it. If I got- I put you in charge of a Fortune 500 company. 
It's, but sometimes I can't make it to the senior staff meetings, and Dawn does a this young lady does a f- fantastic job go filling ahead, in. Go let me um, let me get this straight. Mm. I put you in charge of a Fortune 500 company. Sometimes yeah. you can't and make I'm your own board meetings. Grateful for that. Sometimes I can't make it, but I had a system. And and instead, you put your CAO in a move I commend and applaud yeah. because, I, as you know, I find the role of CAO extremely important. I okay. started as a CAO. <laughs> you know, fresh out of biz school. Yeah, Rich Richson was a CAO as well. I think my dad hired me at his company, CAO. Now I'm the president and chairman of the board of an entire multi-nation conglomerate. Goliath, do you understand? But you put a 13-year-old girl in mm-hmm. to make major decisions on behalf of your entire company. Yeah. And now you've let her go. Yeah, we ultimately decided that uh, what we would do is we everybody would try to make the meetings. Okay. It's a cost-cutting exercise. We thought, what if? I said, what if? You know about blue sky thinking, right? Mm, uh, no, tell me about it. Okay, well, so I'm a, I'm a thought leader, um, uh-huh. and uh, I do a lot of, uh, of blue sky thinking, and one of the blue sky thoughts that Sorry, sorry, sorry. So let me get this straight. I put you in charge of a, a multi-million dollar corporation, and what you spend all day doing is not going to meetings and staring at the sky. Just going to look at the clouds, make shapes with the clouds, and... Uh... Goliath, get her back. <sighs> get this CAO you released. The CAO is in the wind. Get her back. Get her back or your ass is on the line. What about if I commit to just everybody in the senior staff always makes it to the meetings? Hercules, disconnect the line. <laughs> Hello? Hello? <laughs> and. And. Scene. Scene. What is the Babysitter's Club going to do without their chief alternate officer? Oh. We have spent, and once again, Anne and Pete, you've made asses. Of me and Jack, because yeah. we have spent the last 67 books yeah. talking up the role of CAO, talking about how important it is to have a chief alternate officer. And now what? What's going to happen if Christy gets sick? Right. What's going to happen when Stacy dies? Yeah. And? Oh, oh, guess what? Now the Babysitter's Club doesn't make any money and doesn't account for it and doesn't collect dues. We already had to confront this a little bit in this book. They were worried about Don leaving because they're already book solid. Yeah. They can't afford to lose a babysitter, and they can't afford to lose a chief alternate officer. As far as I'm concerned, it is the one position they can't lose. Right. The irony of it is so fucking palpable, Anne, and I cannot believe you can't see this. Any other position you can lose. You lose a president. Guess who fills in? Chief Vice alternate president. officer. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you lose the vice president. Guess who fills in? Chief alternate, Chief alternate officer. officer. Oh right. no, the treasurer moved to New York because her dad got placed in a new position. What are we going to do? Don't worry, we Doesn't have a fucking Chief alternate officer. Right now, your your whole model is coming apart. Uh, okay, um, no chief alternate officer. Fine. Who cares? Yeah. Right? Who cares? Apparently not Anne. Christy, the president gets sick. What now? Entire corporation falls apart. The whole thing falls apart. No one's going to stand in to fucking gavel the meetings into order. Pete, you're great at writing jokes. You're not yeah, great you're... at writing business strategy. I love your jokes. I'm not going to fucking read your business book. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Man, I would, though, in a heartbeat, huh? Actually, I would. I really would. I would yeah. buy it. I would pre-order it. I'll read anything Pete writes. Um, Jackie, my good, sweet friend. 
Yeah. Um, you got a question for me? I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Did mm-hmm. you, this week, um, mm-hmm. did you have a... <gasps> Bird of the week! Um, did you, did Jackie? Yeah. You sweet, sweet boy. Yeah. Did you have a burn of the week? Yes. I want you to tell me about it now. Okay. The the babysitters are training for the three-legged race. Uh-huh. In the run for your money fun run. Yep. The pike kids are standing by ready with their sick burns. Uh-huh. When everyone was finally quiet, Claudia said, Okay, there are a lot of events to choose from. You'll all be on the same team. In each event, a team from Stony Brook plays a team from Lawrenceville, okay? The whole team ties their legs together? Nikki Pike asked. Oh, that's going to be hard, Margot said. Adam groaned. I guess you guys took your moron pills this morning. (laughs) 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 Woo! Leave it to the Pike triplets to come in with a brutal burn like that. Yeah. Get your shit together. Who was it? Nikki and Margot? Margot and Nikki. What are you, six and seven, respectively? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking idiots. Oh, you are? Oh, you are six and seven? Oh, okay. Yeah, they are. They actually are six and seven years old. Yeah. Um, it's also slightly a, a pulled punch because the implication is that they're very, very smart and precocious six- and seven-year-olds who, in order to make a mistake as dumb as the one that they've just made, would need to take moron pills. You believe that moron pills exist. A better burn in a world where moron pills actually exist, if you'll indulge me for a second, Mm -hmm. would be, hey, you're super dumb, and you didn't even need to take moron pills to say something as dumb as what you've just said. Right. Like, for me to be as dumb as you are right now, I would have to take moron pills. Hey, Jack, Jack, Jack. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've had about four moron pills tonight. <laughs> Am I right? Tanner showed me his beer. It's a beer joke. It's a drinking <laughs> joke. <laughs> Nailed it. Woo! Oof. Um, I don't condone underage drinking. Yeah. <laughs> You're 33. <laughs> no, but like... <laughs> I don't want Margo and Nikki Pike to be having beers. I guess you forgot to take your fucking more. Oh shit! I burned myself. <laughs> I guess you remembered to take your moron pills this morning. Ooh, I've had several. Tanner, we're burning through segments. Do you want to burn through to our next segment? And Man, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. I don't even know where to fucking begin with this one, Jack. Okay, I've got a thought for it. If you'll let me conduct this one, um, first I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And the question I'm going to ask you is: Did you cry? Did you, sir? How did you get that wrong? How did you fucking get that wrong? How did you get that wrong? Claudia's closet! Did you have a... Man, I cried so fucking much here's what i think is going to be the case for both of us tanner there are many tearful moments there is a one that i think probably stands out for both of us right at the end i essentially cried for the last two chapters of this book 
There's something that I pulled out that is related to Dawn's mom. Okay, yes, 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 yes. This made me cry too. So this is our joint and mutual uh, tearful moment. This is our joint and mutual tearful moment, but I want to set it up with an earlier moment that I think is probably also a tearful moment for you. It's early on in the book. I'm going to read that setup, and then you can read the final tearful moment that Pete and Ann just fucking landed it, and I I was just a goddamn wreck. But they set it up with this earlier moment. It's right when Dawn has told her mom that she wants to fucking go back to California. Dawn, you know what it did to your mother when Jeff left. You know what it did to her. What a fucking monster you are, Dawn. I'm glad you're leaving. You're just so fucking selfish. Like, it's not just you're letting down the babysitters. You're leaving this fucking business without a chief alternate officer. Right. You're letting down Goliath. You're letting down Zeus. You're letting down Jack. You're letting down Tanner. Yeah. You're letting down all of Baby Nation. You're letting down the entirety of Baby Nation. And now you're letting down your own mother, Mm. Dawn, who's already fucking suffered the worst thing that she could possibly suffer, which is losing her only son. Right. And now you're following in his footsteps. Here's what happens when she tells her mom that she's thinking about leaving early on in the book. Mom exhaled and shook her head. I don't mean to sound so negative, sweetheart. It's just that, well, it was so hard to see Jeff go back. And now you, I, I've tried my best. Is something bothering you here? Something we might be able to work out? Oh, mom, it's not you, I replied. Uh, of course it's... Sorry. Uh, of course it's not. <laughs> Richard said, uh-huh. giving Nailed Mom it. a hug. Okay. Mom was trying very hard to smile. Boy, did I feel bad. I didn't think Mom would take it so personally. You didn't, Don? You didn't, Don? You didn't think Mom would take it so personally. Okay, fine. She took it real personally when Jeff left. Maybe it was going to be different when her only daughter left. The second of two children abandons her. For Disneyland, Daddy. Well, I know the arrangements would be a lot of work, I said. And if it's too much, I'll understand. You don't know how hard it was for me to say those words. Let me think about it, sweetheart, Mom replied. I can tell how much you want to go. Mm. Richard rose to his feet. Ah, what do you say we try that tug of war again and then go get some pizza for lunch? That's good. It's right. It's this is moments after he like bowled over and showed his ass (laughs) to all of Stony Brook. (laughs) Great idea, I said. Marianne wiped her eyes. Of course, Marianne is crying. Marianne was just crying anyway. She just happened to walk by and was crying. Right. (laughs) She's like, "What are we all talking about? Oh, I'm crying. It works." Marianne wiped her eyes. Sure. Mom walked to the rope and picked it up. She was smiling at me. I think it was the saddest smile I've ever seen. That's the setup. That's the setup. This is is literally a line that I captured as my most tearful of tearful moments. It's brutal. In this entire book. We reached the airport with plenty of time to spare, which turned out to be a bad idea. Marianne and I blubbered uncontrollably. Then Mom and I held on to each other as if we were permanently stuck. You know what she whispered in my ear? Not write or brush your teeth or get good grades or anything like that. She said, Let Daddy love you as much as I do. I had to get on the plane fast before it dissolved. 
into one huge tear. It's weird that Anne has been in our text message conversation history and pulled out what I say to you every night before bed. It's so strange. Let daddy love you as much as I love you. (laughs) I say that to you nightly. And I always respond. Right. We got to stop texting before I dissolve into one huge tear. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Every night. It's just a, it's like a little ritual we have. Just another odd little piece of Anne prescience. Yeah. (laughs) It's really strange. Um... Tanner, let's get the fuck out of here. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Okay, you you don't have any other notes? Oh, I've got so many fucking notes. This book was so resonant. There are so many goddamn things in this book. I have so many notes. It's hard, Baby Nation. It's hard when you get a real banger like this. You never want to stop talking about it. You never want to stop. I have so many goddamn things I want to talk about. Anything you gotta get out. Um, Marianne describes Dawn as looking like the Swamp Thing. Okay, are we talking... um, DC Universe... So are we? But are we talking Alan Moore's Swamp Thing? I only know the latest one. Fucking casual. So great, Jack. Why don't you go ahead and uh, pretend to know about the Swamp Thing for about five okay. minutes? And we'll just cut it all because you're fucking embarrassment. Okay. Well, I read a, a few of the latest run on the Swamp Thing reboot. Uh-huh. Um, wait, did Alan Moore do one? Oh my God, Jack! You've got to read the Alan Moore Swamp Thing. It is uh, so good. But so what? Reading that, he's a very handsome. No, the Swamp Thing is an ugly beast. But as a man, he's a very handsome man. He's got he's got a wife and a kid. You're thinking of... A lot like me. Hey, Jack? Yeah. You're literally thinking of Animal Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Animal Man. Uh-huh. I was thinking of Animal Man. Did Alan Moore do an Animal Man? He did not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Tanner, this week... I have been Jack Shepard. I have been Tanner Daniel Greenring this week. In that case, this week, I have been Jack Alexander Shepard this week. <laughs> uh, this week, we read a book called Dawn's BM. A very good title, <laughs> Pete. Or Dawn's Big Move. Uh, next week, we're going to be reading a little book called Jesse and the Bad Babysitter. I think that's going to be the new CAO. They're probably going to bring in some, like, hotshot. They're going to bring in some exec who's like, what if it's rich? Oh what if God. it's rich, rich in? Do you think, do you think Anne would do that? I so hope that she does that. Christy's going to be like, order, order, it's 5.30. Everybody uh, come to order. It's a, it's the Babysitter's Club meeting. Uh, Jesse, Mallory, Stacy, Marianne, you guys all know each other. Um, this is, uh, this is Rich. This is Rich, uh, Richson. Um, from Cinertech. <laughs> Uh, we needed someone with real CAO experience. We've asked Rich to step in for a little while <laughs> in the interim until we can make a new hire. Um, he's 57 years old. He's got an MBA from... Uh, <laughs> Wharton? Well, that's something to look I forward to. I've been Tanner Greenring. Nope, You've been Jack just, Shepard. Let me just do it. Babysitter's Club. Let me do it. Club. Claudia's let, me do it. let me do it. We all know who we are. We all know who you are. Baby Nation, please do rate, review, and subscribe. Any little bit helps in terms of moving us up the rankings and allowing other people to discover the show. So it makes a huge difference if you subscribe on iTunes. Give us a nice rating. 
and uh, and write a little review. You don't even have to write a review if you don't want to. Just give us that rating and subscribe on iTunes. It makes a big difference. And, Tanner, this is where you come in. And, Baby Nation, please share this podcast with a friend or loved one. Yeah. And if you could share the episode with a friend who is a uh, major celebrity, um, that would help as well. All the fucking better. Um, Baby Nation, I love you and I kiss you. Tanner. I love you and I kiss you. Let daddy love you as much as I do. (sighs) We need to get off the phone before you dissolve into one big tear. Oh, yeah. I do, I do need to get off the phone before I dissolve into one big tear because we've been recording for an hour and 48 Oh, my God. Let's get the gonna... fuck out of here. Baby Nation, here's another fucking true fact. Claudia is wearing a bra now. The way she talks, you would think the boys had just been invented. I'm, gonna show, I'm just going to quickly show you all the stuff I have on hand now so we don't do it during the record. Um, okay. This thing, it's a pen. which has like yeah. a little sharp pointer on the end. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, this cow. Don't know if this will come into play, but we do have a little cow. Kind of an okay. angel cow. Okay. And then I think the most thrilling thing is this new pouch that Jamie got. I don't know. <laughs> I would not describe it as thrilling. I would not describe it as thrilling. So, it's a, literally a pouch. Yeah. Um, so I got it all out of my system now. Good. If we retain this discussion in the edit, no one will know what the fuck you're talking about because I always cut out, always, always, without fail, cut out the scenes of you showing me stuff in your room to distract me from whatever I was talking about. I know. That's why I got it out of my system now because I think this is an important book and I don't want anything to distract us. That was a HeadGum Podcast.